2: You
1: want answers, I think I'm entitled You Want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth.
3: Hello again, free thinkers, and welcome to another episode of the Free Thought Project Podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project editor-in-chief, Matt Agaris. And we have the Free Thought Project contributor, the brilliant Don Vi Jr. joining us. And we also have special guest. A reoccurring guest, world-renowned researcher Gavin Nassiamento joining us today. So guys, we have a special show for you all today. We had to improvise a bit after our guest this week canceled. Well, I I guess more accurately is they didn't really cancel, it was more of just like a no-show, which I guess happens from time to time. Uh, We were supposed to talk to someone from the Stop Cop City Activist Group which for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, the city of Atlanta is currently in the process of building a sprawling $90 million, 380 acre training facility for both police and firefighters. And the the protests uh, escalated earlier this year uh, when a protester was shot and killed by police. And it's been a very messy fight for the police accountability activists who, I think they're probably more of like the lefties They probably more align with like the Black Lives Matter type of activism. But nonetheless, we know it's an important issue and we wanted to give it some airtime for our audience to be more familiar with it as it is, you know, significant. But that will have to wait for a future episode because today I'm here with Matt, Gavin and Don to talk about something else which is quite urgent that many people simply aren't aware of or just don't understand. So today we're gonna to be talking about various chemicals and pollutants in society that are causing a lot of health problems for both people and animals, and of course, the ecological damage that's happening on a massive scale. So we'll be discussing the PFASs, which is uh, you know one of the forever chemicals Uh, We're going to be talking about microplastics, uh, the atrazine, which is that same chemical that Alex Jones said was making the frogs gay. And (laughs) he was was right. right. (laughs) He was right. Gavin will be uh, talking about some of that. And uh, we'll also be talking about fluoride and getting into its detrimental effects and the ongoing cover up that has been exposed by journalist Derek Brose. Uh, which we've been covering here at the Free Thought Project. And we've also been covering fluoride news for about 10 years now. So Matt's going to touch on that a bit today. And Don will be talking about microplastics. So the idea for this episode came to me uh, after I did an interview yesterday where I discussed my research on forever chemicals like the PFASs. So I'm going to be going over that much uh, about what I found in this podcast as well. But we're we're basically here to raise the red flag, sound the alarm, and uh, hopefully by the end of the podcast, we're going to give you some important knowledge about what's going on around you, but uh, also some solutions, you know, because that's also very important about how to uh, avoid some of these nasty, dangerous, and harmful chemicals. So if you guys don't mind, uh, I... Suppose uh, I could go first, sharing my research. Seeing I've already been blabbing this much already, and uh, then I could pass it off to Matt. Uh, maybe then Don or, or Gavin uh, could go after that, or, or maybe just we'll have Gavin at the end because his research is just so extensive. I don't, I don't know how it's really going to all work out. So let's get into the PFASs, which you know, like what is a forever chemical? So the PFAS. Uh, stands for polyfluorakil, which is a class of roughly 15,000 synthetic chemicals used for different purposes. Um, If you think about products that have like a resistance to water, stain, uh, oil, or heat, those are going to be generally products that have the PFASs in it. Uh, These PFASs, they contaminate soils and waterways. Uh, They've been found in the blood of people and animals and have harmful health effects such as cancer thyroid disease kidney dysfunction and congenital disabilities and they're called forever chemicals because they don't break down easily in the environment and they can accumulate in the bodies of living organisms including humans so this obviously this accumulation you know presents a potential health risk so um, a lot of the products that these pfas's are in are um, stuff like pesticides, uh, takeout containers, fast food wrappers, carpets, rugs, makeups, shampoo, leather, uh, textile furnishings. And of course, the the one big one that I think a lot of people know about is the Teflon frying pans, the nonstick coating Teflon frying pans. Um, It's even in paint and uh, most commonly found in the firefighting foams to, to put out uh, fires. So they've been manufactured since around the 1940s, but only within like the past 30 to 40 years have they been really used frequently. And uh, I saw a quote by the University of San Francisco that said that PFAs are now ubiquitous in the population and environment. So uh, even though there's only a, a few of these 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 types of products that have the PFASs in them, uh, they're still being found basically all over the place. And some of the most widely used food pesticides in the US are contaminated with these uh, potentially dangerous levels of toxic PFASs. Um, and I, I was hoping to get into that in a little bit, uh, but multiple studies have established that crops actually ab- absorb these pesticides, these PFASs, and they can be ingested by humans. So, uh, you know. That's pretty significant. Yet, you know, most of the food in the US uh, that's grown conventionally have been sprayed with these pesticides that have the PFASs. But don't worry, guys. Uh, the FDA is here to save the day. Actually, no, they're, they're not. They've only been getting to begin monitoring the PFASs in food uh, since 2019. And since then, it, they've detected them in fruits and vegetables. Uh, and as of right now, they haven't set any limits. Or protocol for their use. So, um, you know, why doesn't somebody do something, right? Like, that's the question. Like, well, somebody is doing something. Uh, Maine has actually stepped up to the plate. And in a a recent agreement, um, three different chemical companies, uh, Chemours Company, the DuPont Incorporated Company, and Corteva Incorporated have all recently settled claims that they contaminated several U.S. public waterways with these PFASs. Uh, Of course, the companies deny the allegations, but they have ultimately been um, they will ultimately pay a one point one billion dollar fine as part of the settlement. And just to give you guys um, a little context, you know, if you split that three ways, DuPont will only be paying around 300 million. And that's after they made 13 billion in 2022 so that's barely you know a drop in the bucket it's it's not much even of a slap on the wrist um so one of the aspects of this that seems the most the most significant is that there is as of right now no proper way to dispose of these pfass in a way that's effective efficient and doesn't create a whole new host of problems and because these pfass are so widely used in industrial processes and added to Literally thousands of consumer products—they've been found in our sewage systems at high levels. So you know, take a second to think about that. That you know. So the problem now becomes when the human waste is separated and filtered and treated. Uh, there's this this byproduct that's loosely named sewer sludge, and I'm pretty sure that's not its scientific name. But this the sewer sludge presents a problem because of the amount of the PFASs in the human waste. And there really hasn't been as of right now an effective way to destroy them properly. So um, when I was looking into this, <laughs> I had to shake my head because years ago, um, this sewage sludge was just dumped into the ocean. Like <laughs> they didn't, they just threw it in the ocean, which of course caused numerous environmental problems such as uh, dead zones. And as a fix, as a solution, the EPA decided about 30 years ago to approve this sewer sludge as a fertilizer, right? So, like, of course, it's not just the sewer sludge by itself. There was like other compounds that had to be added in. But this presents problems of its own. And uh, the fertilizer with the PFASs you know, still contains these toxic chemicals that end up in groundwater. Uh, they usually make their way into rivers, streams, and drinking water. And um a little context here, you know, when this was tested, the, the level of PFAS compounded in the sewage sludge fertilizers were a hundred thousand times higher than the level that the EPA considers safe in drinking water. So as I mentioned, you know, Maine is actually doing something. And even though I'm not usually a fan of bans, Maine last year became one of the first states to ban the practice of incorporating the sewage sludge as fertilizer and is currently trying to find efficient ways to remove all the PFASs from the sewer sludge that often gets uh, used as fertilizer. And in both Michigan and in Maine, they have found widespread contamination in the soil of every single field that they've checked where the sludge has been spread. And uh, both states have started to order tainted farms to close. Uh, According to state officials, at least 49 farms in Maine were found to be contaminated, and uh, as of right now, four farms have been shuttered completely for testing too hot. Uh, Maine is investigating about 1,100 sites where state records date back to the 70s, where this sludge was being spreaded around. And unfortunately, like most things with government, you know, the investigation is just a slow process. And after a year, Maine has only tested about 182 sites, which is less than 20 percent of Maine's known sludge spreading locations. Uh, but of course, you know this creates a new challenge with this ban. It's how to effectively dispose of these PFASs uh, thoroughly and effectively. Um, a Boston University expert uh, on PFAS issues and a sewage system engineer, uh, Laura Orlando. Has basically said that the difficulties eliminating these PFASs is is a nightmare, and it said that that's why you don't see facilities all over the place. These types of treatment facilities, because there's just really no way that they've found in a large scale to be able to dispose of them. Now, multiple setting or multiple studies have found that they can be eliminated in laboratory settings. But the real world successes aren't as easy and they're in questions after several high level facilities uh, couldn't provide satisfactory results. So, um, you know, if we're talking about, you know, the most responsible way to dispose of these PFASs, then, you know, one of the solutions suggested was to burn them but if we're going to burn them, it's going to create more air pollution and a whole new set of problems and concerns and air pollution isn't largely regulated in the U S as of right now. So it's, there's a long way to go, you know, before there's a, a successful model of how to dispose of this uh, and a success, you know, if there were to find a, a solution, it would be, um, it would be amazing because this is kind of like a growing agricultural crisis and uh as of right now, there's just no real clear direction as of how to filter and clean uh, these PFASs and effectively in a way that would be scaled for the large amounts that would be necessary for the proper disposal. So um, I actually found a story that I want to share with you guys about a fourth generation family farm that recently had to close in Maine because of these PFASs and uh, The story was originally from the Portland Press Herald, and it it highlights exactly why so many farms are disappearing, uh, not only in the US, but around the globe. And in fact, I actually just saw a a headline um, of a study recently that showed around the world that farms are on the decline. And of course, there's multiple reasons for that. But um, so, yeah, I want to get into this uh, this family farm story here. So the 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 farm was called uh, the family that owned, it was called uh, the Dosti, it's called the Dosti family farm. And as of three years ago, uh, the dairy farm was thriving. Um, it recently had changed hands in the family, I think uh, the, the grandpa had sold it to his son. And uh, in October of 2020, um, the buyer of the family's milk from the dairy uh, told them that it was contaminated with the PFASs, And of course, it ended up flipping their lives upside down because uh, their land is one of at least 49 in Maine that have been contaminated by these PFASs from the sewer sludge used to fertilize the agricultural fields. And uh, a lot of times these these fa- family farms don't have the money to do the testing for these PFASs because they're just super expensive, uh, like th- hundreds of thousands of dollars. So uh, most farms don't test for it, but the state can anytime they want. And so when dosty Family Farms' neighbor tested positive for these PFASs. Uh, Stonyfield Farms, the, the people who were buying their milk, tested it, and when it came back hot, the state ordered them basically to dump all their milk, which was their only source of income. And after that, they tried to do everything to fix the problem. They installed like a $40,000 water filter. Uh, they had to buy feed to replace all the contaminated hay that couldn't grow on their tainted fields. Um, And that still wasn't enough because organic, uh, the the laws requiring uh, the standards for uh, organic dairy farms um, requires that they put their cows out to pasture where they could, you know, quote, lead healthier lives. And so, you know, they hunted for workarounds, trying to find like how they could get, you know, they were even considering moving their milk barn or even trucking the cows back and forth to fields that weren't. Uh, contaminated to graze, but yeah, it's just not cost effective, right? Like that's going to be ridiculously expensive. And so without this organic certification, their milk couldn't be sold for the high prices that they need to sell, you know, to pay down this family farm debt that they've been accruing. And so uh, within 11 months, basically um, they weren't able to produce any product. Uh, They had no income at all coming in. Eventually they had to auction off the last of their herd To pay down their debt and uh it's stories like this that break my heart because not only do we need these family farms and small farms that aren't controlled by you know these big um monopolies like big beef and stuff but like this farm was the family's purpose right like now they don't know where they're what they're going to do what kind of career they're going to get into i mean they've had to resort to finding other jobs like trucking but this is all because of government you know and it, it turns out The previous owner of the Dosti Farm decades ago had spread this PFAS tainted sludge as a fertilizer on the farm fields back when the main Department of Environmental Protection was telling farmers it was safe. So this is all due because of government, and as of right now, the state is investigating about 1,100 sites where state records date back to the 70s. Um, So I guess the question becomes, like you know. Did they know? Did these company these chemical companies know? And I actually was able to dig up uh, some some research about that as well. Um, so in 1959, DuPont scientists actually found that PFAS enlarged lab rats, livers and likely cause birth defects in workers. But still, the company told its employees that were working with the substance that uh, the compounds are about as toxic as table salt. And between 1961 and 2006, there were dozens of instances where DuPont or 3M scientists discovered or acknowledged that PFAS's toxicity internally, but they didn't publish the findings or report them, report them to the EPA, which is required under law. And uh, I mean, God, there's so much here. like. <laughs> around that same time a dupont worker died from pfas inhalation which the company on multiple occasions dismissed as a rumor um and in the 80s again uh dupont found elevated liver enzymes in 60% of workers tested and uh, a confidential internal report detailed birth defects among plant uh employees pregnant plant employees and uh so yeah, there, there has just been a whole bunch of uh, kind of cover-up when it regarding this. And I guess I'll, I'll end with this. The one that was probably the most significant that really kind of shows the kind of backdoor dealings with this is that uh, as these you know, the, the media and public scrutiny started to increase in the 2000s, uh, DuPont's vice president at the time, Susan Stallnecker, wrote an email to the EPA in 2006 with a subject line, urgent. EPA action needed saying we basically basically saying that we need the EPA to quickly like first thing tomorrow say the following one that consumer products sold under Teflon brand are safe and two, further to date there are no human health effects known to be caused by PFOA which is a type of PFAS. So, uh, yeah, I think it's clear here uh, and I'm sure we're going to get into this more that there is a lot of collusion going on with government. Not only does government cover it up, but government also uh, sometimes is the exact reason why, like this family farm, this Dosti family farm, why this is actually happening, why these farms are closing and of course, the incentives that government has through backdoor deals, through lobbying. Uh, As of right now, it doesn't feel like there's a, a lot of hope for government solutions. So I'm going to go ahead and stop there and maybe at the end we could talk about what's being done and how to avoid these. But for now, I will hand it over to Matt uh, to talk about an equally disturbing chemical compound. Uh, But unlike the PFASs, this compound, which is fluoride, has a dark history, but has been hailed as a beneficial health product. So go for it, Matty.
2: Yeah, for sure. Full disclosure, uh, I feel like I'm having that dream where I'm taking a test in college and I didn't study for it. (laughs) I mean, we you know, like like Jason said, these guests that we're supposed to have on today uh, just no showed us. So we kind of, uh, you know, put this together last minute. And um, so I certainly don't have a presentation as well as what uh, Jason just put forward. But like Jason said earlier, I have been studying and researching uh, fluoride use since well before the Free Thought Project. I like that's kind of like what kind of helped shake me out of my stupor. I um, when I realized that we were being mass drugged, you know, against our will from the government, putting chemicals like very dangerous chemicals in the water supply that kind of helped, you know, wake me up a little bit. And um, but if you if you say it like that, you're a kooker, a conspiracy theorist. Right. It's not um, it's not it's not okay to talk about being mass drugged (laughs) again, you know, without your consent by the U.S. government. And when I say U.S. government, it, it really is just the U.S. government. So if we look at, uh, you know, if we look at the history of fluoride, um, the the United States health authorities, like the FDA, EPA, they call it, quote, one of the top ten public health achievements of the 20th century. Right. And this is for those that don't know, fluoride is a is a byproduct of the phosphate industry, which is like aluminum smelting and, um, you know, uh, the production of fertilizers so these companies prior to dumping it in our water supply had to pay to dispose of it because it's a highly toxic uh chemical like it's i mean it's known from everything from endocrine disruption to cancer to to a whole host of iq uh and then uh mental uh ailments so it's it's the list is is vast on what it what it causes and that's why it's so you know they have to pay to get rid of it but instead they don't have to instead of paying to get rid of it they actually get paid US taxpayer dollars uh to to package this shit and then dump it in our water supplies and that happens to roughly 3 quarters of the entire country like roughly 75% of all municipal water supplies in this country are fluoridated and uh the when you know the effects of that it's that's pretty fucking chilling you know um and and when i say the united like i said the united states earlier right the the united states is one of the sole countries in the world that that puts fluoride in the water literally no other countries i mean maybe like i think it's 97 percent of uh the rest of the world does not add fluoride to their water supply because it's fucking stupid and we supposedly follow the science right but even the the World Health Organization, the you know, they say that there's no discernible difference in tooth decay, you know, if you add fluoride or not. But there is a whole host of um, information and and scientific studies showing the negative effects it has on IQ. Right. And mm-hmm. but if you go to Politifactor or if you go to to any of these other fact-checking websites, they're gonna tell you that's not the case. When there's at least a dozen studies out of Harvard that show this is the case, right? There's there's been um, as of like this year recently, there's been over or there's been exactly eighty five studies on the relationship between fluoride and human intelligence and seventy six of those found detrimental effects on human IQs and it's uh, yeah. And I mean, these are extensive studies and and this is comparing fluoridation to non fluoridation, right? So like the the people that are receiving the fluoridated water are clearly dumber. And that's a that's a scary thing. But if you talk about that again, you know, you are a conspiracy theorist. And uh, Derek Bros recently um, came out with uh, an article that he covered the the uh, the Florida Action Network's findings, their Freedom of Information Act requests. And it shows that these people know that fluoride is bad for you and they're actively covering up that information. And one of the uh, most recent public records requests was done in California by Fluoride Action Network. And it showed these emails came from the California State Dental Director, uh, Dr. Jayanth Kubar. And what's in these emails is absolutely bone chilling, right? uh kumar is a fluoride activist he wants everybody on fluoride he he denies uh this entire body of science that shows that fluoride exposure can lead to lower iq in children and he was tasked with putting out a study to show that right like so he was going to do this um where they look at a big analysis of studies like a meta analysis of all these other studies and then they publish this their cherry pick science to show that fluoride doesn't reduce IQ in children. And so he, he can commission this study. And prior to commissioning it, he told the people like these, they, these emails are recently discovered. He told this the people conducting the studies that he has a desire to protect fluoridation <laughs> influence, right? He wants, he wants that. He wants to show this is what this they, yeah. they set out to do in this meta analysis is show that fluoridated water is safe. Right? They, he preempted the study t- with his desired results, and which is not a study at all, right? That's propaganda. When you come to this, when you propose a hypothesis and then you try to prove it wrong, you don't set out to make a point in a study because that's not science, that's the opposite of science. It's propaganda and at, so kumar commissioned this study uh several years ago and he had to publish it or he, he tried to get it published four different times and every time it got rejected because it did not show like they 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 couldn't show that fluoride didn't re, uh have negative health consequences in regards to iq they could not show that so it got kicked back multiple times and uh and now we know like they, like these people are actively trying to to cover it up right it's 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 mind-blowing right and if that doesn't like shock you you know the negative effects of the iq on on our offspring right like you could look at the uh the effects of it on the actual environment right the if you <clears throat> like that there's there's a whole bunch of fluoride dumped into the uh, dumped into the the water supply every year right the the rule of thumb is that there's around 130 lethal doses of fluoride dumped into water supply per person annually. And what's a lethal dose for a child? It's 200 milligrams. And um, it's already been documented that 1.2 grams of sodium fluoride kills people. And, and people have died from one point from ingesting 1.2 kilograms of, um, of fluoride. So these it's, it's like a big scam to throw away their trash from these from the phosphate industries. Right. So like roughly mm-hmm. the. The. Municipalities produce around 400 liters per person per day for uh, in America for drinking water or water on tap. Right. And so um, humans only can uh, ingest about one liter right, of water on average per day. So that leaves three hundred ninety nine liters to go for baths, watering lawns, washing cars, flushing toilets, whatever, putting out fires, all this other shit. And all of that water has fluoride in it, <laughs> right? So this is a sneaky way that the phosphate industry is actually just spraying their, their toxic waste back on out into the environment, right? So if we look at the fluoridation rate, which is averages of uh, one part per million or one milligram per liter, um, that's the target dose of this medicine you know, for for, for humans <laughs> in the United States who are being drugged without consent. Um, so therefore, like every 400 liters of water supplied to each citizen is, uh, full of 400 milligrams of fluoride. Um, uh, and since only one milligram of that is the, is swallowed the 399 milligrams of excess fluoride literally gets flushed down a sewer, sprayed out into the lawns and it's fully legal toxic waste dumping dumping. Right. And, uh, it, in the, if you look at the numbers, if you just do some simple math right? You, you get 140 grams of fluoride per person, uh, each year. That's a uh, 140 grams gives us our rule of thumb, you know, of 130 lethal doses, lethal doses of fluoride per person per year dumped into the environment. So you multiply, uh, 130 times, you know, uh, 150 million people. I know there's more people in that in the United States, but that's the current fluoridated with drinking supplies around 150 million people. Um, that makes 20 billion lethal doses of fluoride per year dumped into our environment. That's a over 10 million tons of this shit that's spread across yards, dumped down toilets, you know, bathed in showers, pools, all that 10 million tons of toxic waste that these people would have to pay to dispose of. But instead is being added to our fucking drinking water, man. It is, is absolutely insane. Um, Luckily, I uh, I've been an activist for this for a, a long time. I've actually gone to local government, and we we've gotten it pushed out of our municipalities down here. So uh, my town is not fluoridated, and um, but like a large group of dentists and all, we we like helped put it into that years ago. But um, I highly suggest to everybody to go to their, you know, their, their local government, uh, local governments, because you're not gonna, they're not gonna do this at a floor at a at a federal level, right? Because they, the feds, claim this as one of the top ten public health achievements in the 20th century, and they're probably not willing to reverse that stance anytime soon. But you can totally get, um, you know, you go present these facts to local government and such, and. The Fluoride Action Network is a great wealth of knowledge. It's made up by it's kind of like AE and E for nine eleven truth, where there's a bunch of architects and engineers who get together to point out nine eleven truth. The Fluoride Action Network is that, but with science scientists and doctors who, uh, and PhDs and have who uh, and dentists who have come forward and, and gathered all this evidence, and they have like toolkits and shit. You can go and you there's like literally one of the toolkits is called Steps to in-fluoridation in your community so you could do this you start local and i mean i'm living proof you know we did it down here so i highly suggest you do the same thing i mean this is this is mass poisoning of the american population and the rest of the world like just to prove like the rest of the world does not do this we're like one of the only countries in the world that does this and it's known toxic there's there's thousands of pages of studies that show the toxicity and those who deny that are literally denying the science and, and they're the ones that are the quacks and they're yeah. the ones that, you know, that should be exposed, not the people that have been reporting on this and doing this research for for decades and trying to, you know, save humanity. But that's about all I got because I didn't study for this test last night. But- yeah,
3: that, that was great, man. And all, all we have to really do if we're going to compare, you know, these government agencies to activist uh, organizations just look at their incentives right like what incentives do these activist organizations like the fluoride action network have like th- their incentive is to try to promote spread truth.
2: disinformation
3: <laughs> <laughs> what do they, they get from that you know right so we always have to kind of keep that in the back of our mind and of course i would also mention guys like definitely be filtering your water even be filtering your shower water i know uh, there's like berkey filters that you can put on your shower so you're not getting sprayed down with all that stuff
2: yeah that's uh, one thing i wanted to point out sorry to interrupt but um with the in regard to fluoride filtration there is no filter that takes out fluoride you can't filter it out with a standard carbon filter the only way to remove fluoride is like through reverse osmosis or like a steam method where you would boil water and then let it collect on some kind of dripping apparatus and drip down but there's um boiling water does not get rid of fluoride you have to collect the steam because the steam doesn't rise. boiling water only concentrates the fluoride so technically if you added just kept adding gallons of water into a boiling pot and kept doing that and kept doing that you could distill the fluoride down and see how fucking nasty that is and you could, you can actually see it if you do if you if you your your city fluoridates a lot you can actually see the little the the film that that comes from the that one milligram per liter that is in in your drinking water it's it's pretty disgusting
3: yeah not to mention the calcification of the pineal gland too right because uh you know our third eye which has been dubbed and it really kind of gives credence to this idea of the dumbing down of america i mean like this literally what's going on and uh unfortunately a lot of people don't have any clue but right
1: let's keep moving on here uh don do you want to go next or gavin yeah Okay. Yeah, I'll take it. It's not a problem, man. And and it really does sort of go to show sort of what we've been talking about when not only the fluoride, but also uh, the forever chemicals that you had mentioned. I know there's plenty of studies that show that they also have an impact on IQ and also what I'm going to cover here with the microplastics. Um, not only with the way they affect the IQ, but also as you mentioned, the calcification of the pineal gland and it really does lend credence to this idea that Western society, the United States particularly, is being deliberately dumbed down because we also see that with multiple chemicals in our food, Um, the supposed medicine, the pharmaceuticals that we keep either popping or getting shot up with or, or whatever, it's literally everywhere and we're pretty much, as Matt mentioned, the only country on the planet that does this, certainly the only country on the planet that does it to this degree with the amount that we are inundated with the microplastics, with the forever chemicals, with the fluoride, um, and just everything else. The toxic carcinogens in our food is another huge one with companies like Monsanto that control so much of the food supply. Um, It really is just this onslaught of chemical poisoning, attacking the IQ, attacking our immune system. That's why America is one of the sickest countries on the planet as well as the way, the way it degrades our immune system. Um, the way it degrades, uh, you know, our, our, or the way that the endocrine disruptors and hormone disruptors and all those things just create all of this mass hormonal confusion going on in our bodies, which also have impacts on the IQ and the immune system and all of that. It's, it's in very nuanced and it's one of the subjects that's least discussed when it comes to all of the stuff that's going on right now um, so when it comes to microplastics microplastics is probably one of the biggest issues that we're facing it's sort of like the trifecta i would say is or the the i guess you could say the the trinity whatever the unholy trinity you know they have the fluoride and similar chemicals, you have the other forever chemicals, and then you have here, you have the microplastics. Um, so with these, for people that aren't really aware, so microplastics are basically like these very small plastic particles that are, in some cases, like indiscernible to the human eye. Like you can't even see them, they're that small. In other cases, you can kind of see them, but they're they're really tiny is the point of the name, microplastics. And they are freaking everywhere and it's not only like just the plastics themselves but also like sort of what they're made of the petroleum-based stuff that they're made of and the chemicals that are used because it's sort of an overlapping topic when you have a lot of these plastic products that end up degrading and breaking down into microplastics are made with a lot of these chemicals uh, forever chemicals um atrazine and all this other stuff that is being mentioned in uh this episode here um and like I said, they are everywhere. So, uh, for example, I have this one piece from NPR because, um, shockingly, the mainstream media does cover this a little bit, although most of the sources I have are from independent researchers. Um, this one piece from NPR in April of 2022 says, that for the first time, researchers find microplastics deep in the lungs of living people, uh, saying "Yeah, saying uh, that researchers have found microplastics uh, deep in the lungs of living humans for the first time, as researchers from Hold York Medical School in England uh, published in the journal Science of the Total Environment, says that uh, it is the first robust study to identify the plastics in the lungs of humans. Uh, and the plastics have previously been found in f- human blood and excrement and in the depths of the ocean. And that's, that's just one piece. Like I'm going to mention the titles of a lot of these articles here. And then like our listeners, you can go and like look up the titles of these articles. I'm going to tell you where they're published as well, because it would be way too long to like read through all of these things, but you should definitely do that go and find these things and read through them. So this next one, it's, it mentioned, uh, in the blood of the humans. This is another one that I have directly from, uh, that university whole York medical school, uh so scientists discover microplastics in human veins Oof. you know this is going going through our bodies but uh some of the most pertinent research that i've seen uh thankfully was done by uh children's health defense the defender they actually do a really good job of covering this subject and they have for a long time so there's one piece uh in just april of this year or may excuse me may of this year uh says that plastics are everywhere, including your brain. This is from Dr. Joseph Mercola. It says scientists suspect microplastic contamination in our brains may cause cognitive impairment, neurotoxicity, and altered neurotransmitter levels, which can contribute to behavioral changes. And once you really start uh, finding out, and we're sort of reading this sort of stuff because this is something I've sort of kept up with for a while, not as astutely as other subjects that I've studied, but it's something that's sort of grabbed my attention in a way because of how it wasn't really covered by many individuals um and once you start really finding out how, how many or how much of this stuff is is in our systems and it's, it's everywhere it really becomes quite concerning uh, this next piece, uh, also from Children's Health Defense, microplastics detected in human testes and semen. So the authors of a new pilot study found that mm-hmm. microplastics in human testes and semen and called for more data and research to determine how the tiny particles affect the male reproductive system. And, uh, you know, that sort of goes into another major issue that we're seeing that's also a part of, uh, you know, this this whole attack this whole chemical uh uh, assault that's going on on our bodies here is the way it is attacking and, and and sort of damaging the reproductive systems of human beings particularly in the west particularly in the united states and of course we know there are a number of studies that have come out over the years that have shown Uh, that that reproductive rates worldwide have been going down uh, drastically anyway. And perhaps that can also attest to just the amount of pollution going on around the world and the way it affects us. There's actually uh, another piece here uh, from my buddy John Vibes. Uh, This was published in 2019. Yeah, man, published in 2019. It says people eat and breathe up to 120,000 particles of plastic each year. This is published in Truth Theory. Uh, and it, it sort of goes it says, according to new research published in the journal Environmental Science and Technology, the average person can absorb anywhere from 74,000 to 120,000 particles of microplastic each year. Surprisingly, half of this microplastic toxicification comes from the air that we breathe and the other half comes from the foods and drinks that we can there that we consume. So it's not even just in the products that we use, it's literally gotten to the point. It is just in the very air that we breathe. There's this, uh, another article here again, out of children's health defense says microplastics could cross over from mother to fetus. A new study shows the authors of a peer reviewed study showing microplastics, uh, past pregnant rats, intestinal, and placental barriers leading to impaired fetal development concluded uh, concluded the same could be true for humans, uh, and it, it's it's so damn scary when you really think about this because you know it's it's in the food, it's in the air, it's passing through our blood, it's in our brains, it's now being passed from mother uh, to child, or at least plausibly from mother to child in the human species, and as we know uh it definitely occurring in animal species there's another one that i saw uh that said uh, you know that plastic pollution or the microplastic pollution is being found in animals that are being studied here um you know just a few more from children's health defense you can literally because i have this is one of the things that i've done to prepare for this i literally just went to the children's health defense website went to the search bar typed in microplastics so maybe you know that's probably more advisable than just like individually listening to the sections of the show where i talk about it just go on to their website i know we also have a few articles up on freethoughtproject.com about it um and there is one that i'm going to mention but before i get to that uh so some of these extra ones uh talk about uh, microplastics pick up pollution making them even more toxic to humans a new study published uh in chemosphere shows microplastics can pick up pollution uh in their travels which make them an even greater threat to human health oh uh, yeah and that was from uh april april of last year uh one from march of last year breakthrough study uh shows microplastics in human blood i think we had already mentioned that one um but there's there's plenty of them and then again I think one of the biggest contributors of this, uh, certainly now, is there was a piece that Matt wrote for the Free Thought Project in April of last year, says study shows most people now have microplastics found in disposable masks in their lungs. So we already knew that. But then this study shows that so many of those microplastics were coming from the useless, and I say useless very fervently if anyone's read my articles about the subject, the absolutely useless face (laughs) masks that everyone was so forced to wear during the scamdemic COVID-1984 whatever the hell you want to call it Um, and Gavin's done fantastic work on it too, I know he has like a five hour documentary that in a huge chunk of that covers masks and I'll be here I'll be sure to shut up in a second so that he can get to his portion (laughs) Um, but yeah, man. So like we there was already such plastic pollution in the world, uh, damaging the oceans, the animals, uh, the air, the water, the food. And we're starting to see that now just sort of bleed over into our human bodies, attacking the reproductive systems, IQs, um, you know, the way that we breathe at everything. And uh, it's, it's just really scary, man. And and so that was already happening. Then add on three years of forcing people to inhale plastics and, and bacterias and whatnot from, uh, you know, those stupid ass masks. And we, we haven't even yet to see the harm that microplastics are really going to do to human society, because that's sort of a thing that's it's going to take a while. Before those effects to really get in, maybe the next generation or a few years down the road will really start to see the detrimental effects of it. Hopefully, uh, as more research and study is done into this and people from an academic level start raising the red flags and ringing the alarm bells like, hey, this is actually an issue. But of course, you know, as we've seen with the fluoride issue, how they carry that on a silver platter and the uh, forever chemicals, which is just brushed under the rug at the behest of these massive corporations that pretty much own everything. And every one I'm not going to hold my breath for that, but I'll go ahead and shut up and let, let, let us get to Gavin.
3: <laughs> there was a article from business insider in March 25th, 2022 that the world was throwing away 3 million face masks every minute. And that was from 2022. So who knows where we're at now and yeah. that's crazy don to hear that yeah the microplastics are in the brain because i mean hey like we already have enough uh, pollution from the fluoride you know contaminating our, our pineal gland and uh gosh the whole sperm counts like dropping thing like I mean, i'm sure you guys heard about that but in the past 50 years average human sperm counts have dropped by 51.6 percent and total sperm counts have dropped by 62.3 percent so this is probably, I mean, the things that we've already just talked about are probably big factors in this, right? Yet
2: fluoride is linked to lower sperm count for sure, right? Yeah, and, and
3: yet nobody's really talking about this. And just a couple more things that I, I wanted to mention about the the microplastics, and then we'll hand it over to Gavin to do some cleanup and, and wrap things up. But the uh, Independent recently reported that humans inhale a credit card size equivalent of toxic microplastic particles every week. And so that almost sounds crazy, right? You're like, well, how in the world would something like that? Like, how is that even possible? Well, we just saw I shared a couple articles with Don that microplastics are being found on cutting boards, right? Like cutting boards are releasing millions of little microplastic particles. Uh, I guess last but not least, Gavin, if you want to tell us everything that we've missed or maybe even discuss some of the history of some of these these chemical companies.
0: Awesome, man, um, first of all, very good information from every single one of you guys, man. I, I learned a lot myself personally. Also, with Don mentioning about the face mask wearing, I had never considered that. That actually brings a new dimension into what took place during the so-called pandemic. But what I'm seeing, uh, and I'm glad you specifically asked me about the history, what I'm seeing to be perfectly frank is that this appears to be intentional clandestine warfare so in other words this is chemical warfare it's just very shadowy and it's very covert so if we look at the historical backdrop because I try to trace back the historical genesis and I try to understand the context of those times So for example, Jason, you were talking about the DuPont company. At the time that they developed these chemicals and other dangerous ones, the DuPont company was under the control of Irène DuPont senior, who was a eugenist. And when I look into the history of eugenics, what I find is that they deliberated about how they could use chemicals to sterilize the population and to engage in population control, to engage in depopulation. Another thing as it specifically relates to atrazine, which I'll get into a bit more detail in a moment after just creating an historical foundation. Atrazine is part of the so-called Green Revolution because whilst it was very theatrical and it had all the the right appearances in terms of Uh, its sales pitch and how it it looked. I mean, the Green Revolution, it sounds so fantastic. But that also ushered in and served as a platform for agrochemicals. And who was behind the Green Revolution, right? Follow the money, that's one of the most basic tenets as a researcher. Well, it was the Rockefeller Foundation and the Ford Foundation. And when did this take place in terms of historical context? Well, it actually began during World War II Now, as I've covered in my publication, which people can find a truncated version of on the Free Thought Project's website, and we've discussed this on the podcast, in prior podcasts, during World War II, both uh, Henry Ford and his son, Edsel Ford, and then of course, the Rockefeller family, they were major patrons of Nazi Germany, which were engaged in eugenics. And the two organizations, were the most prolific patrons during this time, during the Green Revolution's time. They were the most prolific patrons, uh, number one sponsors of population control programs, such as the one that took place in India, that culminated in several million sterilizations. So I don't want to get hung up on the topic of eugenics. We've obviously covered that before. But for those who are listening to the first time and they're saying, what is that? To keep it simple, guys. It's just an extreme form of population control. And amongst its ranks included not just the leading philanthropists, the leading businessmen, the leading politicians, but also leading scientists. Now, eugenics was the pseudoscientific narrative that some people are superior to others genetically. Now, it's framed as being about white supremacy, but it's just about elitism because there's all kinds of different skin colors. That engaged in eugenics the significance of this and to try to surmise this very quickly so we can move on more specifically to the topic at hand is what took place in nazi germany was all about eugenics and again guys it's important to look at my work on this topic again you can find it on the free thought project it's called a history of elitism world government and population control What took place in nazi germany was all about eugenics that's what culminated in what we recognize and call today the holocaust what people don't recognize is nazi germany and hitler and so on and so forth they were inspired by powerful philanthropists politicians and so on and so forth in the us and in england major patrons of this again were the Rockefellers, specifically through the rockefeller foundation and the ford foundation worked very closely with them they were behind the green revolution then when you look at the actual chemical manufacturers, like I said, the DuPont company was under the control of René DuPont Senior, who was a staunch proponent of eugenics. So at the time that he's a staunch proponent of eugenics, yeah, we see them dumping massive amounts of chemicals that invariably results in depopulation. Now the same is true for uh, for for Atrazine. It's A gender disrupting chemical it results in cancer but it's a major infertility um, like a spear of infertility now just one other thing before i actually forget this because it's such a significant point is in the wake of world war ii when the world became aware of oh my goodness this is what eugenics is about because the context that they put it in is quite similar to what we just lived through where, oh, this is science, you know, to be with face masks and lockdowns, oh, this is about science, but really it's about scientism, it's about establishment science, there's an agenda behind it. They did the same thing with eugenics, but what took place in the wake of World War II is people became uh, aware, obviously, of Nazi Germany, and they said, holy shit, this is what eugenics is about. So it had attached to it a horrible name, and then high ranking eugenists in the US and abroad, they began to deliberate about how can they continue their agenda, but do it covertly. And we in fact have a very incriminating document, a letter, it's, a, it's an authentic letter from a guy by the name of Carlos Patton Blacker. He was the general secretary of the British Eugenics Society and a founding member of Planned Parenthood International where he is writing to Dorothy Brush, another prominent figure historically in Planned Parenthood International, where he's talking about something called crypto eugenics. And he basically says unambiguously, we are going to implement this agenda. And what it basically is, is you pursue population control. You pursue the agenda of of eugenics, but under a different name and through different means. And as I've already covered again, I highly recommend people to check out their publication. They started to weaponize environmentalism they started to weaponize family planning and from what i'm seeing as well as more and more evidence emerges they weaponized the chemical industry so with all of that said for example these forever chemicals they trace back to dupont they were polluting the water supply for decades which invariably resulted in, in depopulation and of course people can say oh it's about money but the more you research The more you dig in, you realize, yes, there is a layer, there is an element of monetary gain for the lower level of elitism. But for the higher level, it's about population control. And so with that said, who is the company that was behind this chemical atrazine? Now, first, just to give a little bit of an introductory understanding, atrazine is a herbicide. It's a chemical herbicide. And it is extremely dangerous and it's it's ubiquitous it's only second to glyphosate and in some countries it's more prolific than glyphosate in fact at in one occasion back in 2017 when i gave a presentation i spoke about it briefly at that time it was the most prevalent uh, contaminant chemical in the drinking supply in the us excuse me now the significance of this <laughs> is again if you look into history During the late 60s and the 1970s, when they were engaged in population control efforts very clandestine. At least by those standards today would never work because of the Internet, but back then prestigious scientists and doctors were openly deliberating on engaging in population control methods in science journals in prestigious science journals. So one specifically that comes to mind. So they talked about how can we, you know, maybe add a sterilant in the water supply or in the food supply. How could we go about doing this? In one of them specifically, it was published in 1970 by a guy by the name of Carl Gerassi. He's sometimes referred to as the father of the contraceptive pill. This publication in 1970 was called Birth Control After 1984. And they're very clever on how they do this, where they deliberate about it, but they kind of talk about it like it's just them speculating. They're not really exploring this, but they are into so much detail that you would be remiss. You would be irresponsible. You'd be foolish not to recognize the writing on the wall. And one of the things he talks about is essentially weaponizing an insecticide for the purpose of population control. And this is in 1970. <laughs> And what he specifically, yeah, crazy, what he specifically outlines, and he says, it's so chilling, and all of this, again, guys, I've condensed all of this research for people to check out in that publication, but what he essentially states is because the science community will first and foremost study the effects of a a particular chemical on the wildlife, because of that, if it's specifically weaponized against man, it'll be especially effective. Then comes along Atrazine. Now Atrazine was created by a company called Ciba Geige. Okay, Ciba which today is BASF. BASF was a Nazi Germany company back in the day. And the other company that manufactured it with them was also once again, DuPont. And they did the exact same thing. So Ciba Geige at the time, right? They were likewise uh, dumping tons, just tons and tons and tons of dangerous chemicals into a place called Toms River, New Jersey, and this massive amount of comes uh, amount of uh, chemicals that was being dumped in the Toms River, this resulted in just a major spike in childhood cancers and other horrible diseases and again, it was around the same time just in the wake of World War II, when the strategy of crypto-eugenics began to get implemented. So how do we know about this today? Well, first of all, research goes back fairly far, where they recognized, like there were studies showing on uh, rodents that atrazine was a dangerous chemical, it was causing cancers, it was destroying genitalia, it was creating lower fertility rates, uh, lower sperm counts in animal models. But specifically, there was a scientist from the University of California, Berkeley, named Tyrone Hayes. And anybody can go look him up. Uh, He's even got a Wikipedia page, but always be very careful with Wikipedia. But he's out there. And he actually did an exceptional job at covering his tracks. And so what he did was he went ahead and he studied atrazine. Now, at the time, when you look this up, it's going to be uh, under the a company called Sagenta. And that's because Seba Geige, in fact, merged with a company called Sandoz. Now, Sandoz, just as a little side note, some side trivia for people interested, Sandoz was the company that supplied LSD for the mind control experiments what? during MK Ultra. Uh, Yeah, so this is very important for people. Yeah, this is very yeah. important for people to recognize and know is that. Chemical companies and pharmaceutical companies historically have worked very closely with the military and the intelligence community. They are interchangeable. So whenever you think of chemical uh, a chemical company, you need to recognize immediately that they are engaged in some form of clandestine military operations always. Every single time, religiously, it is absolutely accurate. and the best embodiment of this in personification is exactly Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany, was its heart, its whole entire foundation was dependent on its pharmaceutical industry through IG Farben. So anyways, moving forward, Tyrone Hayes, he, he conducted these studies on frogs, and he began to recognize and learn that these frogs were becoming chemically castrated, which means that they would literally, like biologically, they would lose their genitalia, and some of them would even warp into female, frogs. And they would also engage in homosexual behavior, which was unnatural, because obviously in the in in the wild, you get different species, including frogs, that will do this naturally. But this behavior was actually unnatural. And so the significance of this is if it has an adverse effect on frogs, biologically it can have an adverse effect on us. And so he began to raise alarm bells about this. And the company at that time, was actually Novartis There's all these mergers that take place because that's how deception works it uses a vehicle until that vehicle gets enough bad publicity and then it moves on to a new face mask that's kind of how it operates a new sheepskin for the wolf and so when he came out with this they, they threatened him they tried to silence him they tried to censor him but he was really good in covering his tracks and he bested them in the long run And then also since then, there's been numerous studies on humans. Mm -hmm. So they found that men who have higher levels of atrazine have lower sperm counts. And babies who get atrazine in utero, which is to say when a woman is pregnant, if she has higher levels of atrazine, then the baby will be microphalanx, which is to say they'll have a micropenis, and it deforms their genitalia. So they can can no longer reproduce. Now, back in 2017, I proposed that... Because of this taking place, to me, 1 plus 1 equals 2. It's just like a pragmatic perspective. This could be one of the reasons behind the trend in so-called gender diaspora, like people being confused about their gender, right? And people said, oh, no, you're just crazy, and uh, you're homophobic, and so on. And I was like, look, this is a relatively objective thing. Well, recently now, I think it was either earlier this year or just last year. Professor Shauna Swan, who is an excellent authority to look to on all of this information, she has uh, demonstrated, at least from her perspective, and like Jason was talking about, the the steady decline in sperm rates. She has been key in that. She has had numerous uh, studies with different teams, and they have been this, the key figures behind this research. She now says the same thing, that that very likely could be one of the reasons. So for myself, looking at this, and and just very quickly as well, there's something people can look up, really fascinating, um, with a a correspondence between the vice president of Planned Parenthood and the president of the Population Council, Bernard Berrelson. And I'm trying to remember exactly what this publication was called, but essentially in there, And I suppose to make it easier so people can just go track it down because I hate to give information without giving a proper source. Um, In this publication, it's around the 1970s once again, they deliberate on how they can come up with different strategies to go ahead and engage in population control. And one of the things, in addition to putting sterilants in the water is to actually promote homosexuality. I want to make it very clear guys i have several of my best friends who are homosexual they are cool as fuck, and uh i have nothing against people being homosexual bisexual whatever it might be right uh, as long as you're a cool person as long as you're, you're not a dick <laughs> that's cool with me but at the, right exactly but at the end of the day the objective evidence is the objective evidence and this is clearly what it showed so for myself when i look at this I'm starting to see that, yes, this has been uh, weaponized. It it clearly looks to me as though these things have been weaponized against us. And what's very interesting as well with Shauna Swan is she goes ahead and, excuse me, that that memo, that document is called the Jaffe Memo. Okay, just in case somebody wants to go look it up. It's called the Jaffe Memo. That's J-E-F-F-E from Frederick Jaffe to a guy by the name of Bernard Berelson, And Bernard per- Berylson was uh, the president of the Population Council, which, which was a, a, just a cover for the eugenics movement. Now, what's really interesting is Shauna Swan says that when scientists bring up to the chemical industry that these chemicals are dangerous, OK? You guys need to stop doing this. We have evidence. It's beginning to become mountainous that this is detrimental to human well-being. well What do they go ahead and do? Sure, they get rid of the chemical, but then they replace it with one with a slightly different name, but it has the same detrimental effects. And what that brings me to is very recently there was a report released from the United Nations. In fact, this was just last month. And this is this is shocking. It's disturbing. And I'm not somebody that likes to spread fear. I'm not somebody that likes to have people feel hopeless. And I suppose at the very conclusion of this, we can discuss a bit more solutions. But what they found is that there are over 13,000 chemicals in these various plastics. And these plastics, just to be clear, it is what uh, our food is wrapped in. It is what um, we we have uh, our children's toys. So babies always putting toys in their mouths. Like, these things are ubiquitous. In fact, a a study very recently also showed, this just came out last year, that rainwater is unsafe to cultivate because these forever chemicals are everywhere, including Antarctica. They found it in ice samples. At least that's what they claim, okay? This report from the UN, they stated amongst these 13,000 chemicals, 3,200 have been recognized as dangerous. 6,000 of those chemicals have not even been studied. It is one of the most unregulated, highly secretive industries, the chemical industry. So unlike, let's say, uh, the food or vaccines, which yes, it's a very corrupt uh, regulation process. There is absolutely no process of regulating these chemicals that are in these plastics. And oftentimes they can keep it secret. When you look at the companies that are in control of these technologies, which again, it's DuPont, It's BASF, it's organizations that in fact have a history of being rooted in the eugenics movement and doing untenable experiments, and excuse me, let me not say experiments, but untenable uh, actions that result in just massive cases of premature death, cancer and, and infertility problems. So what we are faced with I don't know how many people can fully recognize the writing on the wall here, but this is a major epidemic, okay? Professor Shaughness Swan. she in fact states, and she has all the credentials to do so, this is not a controversial authority to cite, that she believes by 2045, which boys and girls, that's just two decades away, that's around the corner. Might seem long, but I assure you it's not. We're gonna blink again and it's gonna be here. She claims by 2045, human beings will no longer be able to naturally procreate which just wonderfully culminates and coincides with transhumanism so in the midst of all of this yeah and let me just wrap it up here in the midst of all of this i think it's so important that we move beyond just viewing the detrimental effects of this because it is absolutely detrimental but to start thinking at least considering at least contemplating that this in fact is a covert form of war being waged against the population. Excellent.
3: Excellent. Excellent points, Gavin. And damn, man, you're so good. I don't know how you remember all this shit, all the names and the dates and the publications and like my stoner brain just isn't, uh, doesn't keep up with that. So (laughs) well done, my friend. But, uh, yeah, man, just, uh, Once again, for our audience, just to give you a reminder, I'm not sure, I think Gavin mentioned it, but his latest publication is called A History of Elitism, World Government and Population Control. And I know he mentioned you could find the truncated version of that on the Free Thought Project, or you could go to Amazon to find that. But um, I know this is all really heavy stuff. Like it sounds like doomsday scenario, like the apocalypse is here and I'm not gonna lie like this is really it really is heavy it really we're, it, we're not in a good place here guys but we always try to end our shows with a white pill with some positive information with solutions so i will go ahead and start by talking about what is being done with these pfas's and unfortunately as i mentioned before there isn't a lot of government Uh, solutions that I really truly believe that we could count on as, as being substantial for the future. But there are some things that are finally starting to go into effect here. So in my research, I found that currently neither state nor federal regulations require milk to be tested for PFASs, but the EPA has started to set health advisory levels for PFASs, in drinking water and has taken some steps to start phasing out some of the use of these PFASs. And in recent years, uh, a number of corporations and companies, including McDonald's and Burger King, have stated that they're planning on reducing or phasing out the use of these packaging, the packaging with Forever Chemicals. Now, of course, if they actually do is a different story, so we'll have to wait and see on that. Uh, As of January, 2023, uh, 3M, who is one of the biggest uh, PFAS manufacturers uh, making products worth around 1.3 billion in annual sales. They currently have uh, pledged to exit the PFAS manufacturing business. So keep your fingers crossed on that. And um, yeah, the US has begun taking some of the most basic steps to uh, kind of get the ball rolling with this. And it seems like the most meaningful legislation has come at the state level over the last couple of years, um, not the federal level. And of course, um, you know, how can we avoid them? Well, it's hard for people to avoid these products with the PFASs uh, for the average consumer. It's it's nearly impossible. But some of the ways that we can, as I had mentioned, you know, is cutting back on fast food. I mean, fast food is not good for you in the first place, but these grease resistant fast food packaging, that keep oil and the meat juices and all that stuff from spilling on your clothes. They have the PFASs in them. So uh, you know, we have to stay away from those. If you are to touch them, be very brief um, and try not to have your food in them for very long. Of course uh, the microwave popcorn. I know it's always fun for movie night, but some experts discourage the frequent consumption uh, consumption of these microwave popcorns because the, the kernels are sitting in this package of oil for extended periods of time. Uh, avoid the non-stickware cookware, you know, any of the Teflon pans that are coated. stay away from that crap. Uh, obviously, drink floor uh, filtered water. Um, store your leftovers. any food leftovers, stop using the plastic crap, guys. put it in glass containers. In fact, that's all we use for our water. I always uh, buy filtered water and we don't put them in the plastic five gallon jugs. We always use glass. It's a pain in the ass, but hey, like this is just, part of you know, trying to be smart about our health. And then, of course, uh, PFASs have also been widely detected in fresh freshwater fish. So always know where your fish is coming from uh, and try to avoid products with stain-resistant, water-resistant, or nonstick coatings as these often contain PFASs. So hopefully that helps. And uh, if there's anything
0: else, Gavin, that you wanted to add, if not, we could go ahead and uh, wrap this. Jason, I think you laid out pretty much you know the the solutions there i would also just mention in terms of the psychology because having a strong mind whilst it may not seem related to all of this it's absolutely imperative stress is detrimental to your health and oftentimes we become aware of really scary things like we've all had that moment right you become aware that there's all this crazy shit going on in the world and it, it disturbs you as it would any sensible human being but bear in mind guys this has been going on for a very long time so what has changed your awareness has so it's not necessary your body has sustained you to this point Um, yes there is a lot of different uh, and inexplicable illnesses i myself have one where you have all of these gut problems which are also connected to these forever plastics but your body is incredibly resilient and the good news is as more people become aware of this naturally more solutions come because the average individual is not a yes. psychopath, hell bent on population control. The average individual wants to live in a peaceful world. They want to make sure babies are safe and so on and so forth. So in terms of yourself, keep your wits about you, keep your mind strong. Don't get sucked up into the abyss of despair because it is counterproductive. And then in terms of what you can do to help, uh, facilitate create po- and create positive change, is simply raise awareness. I know it's not as theatrical as the nonsense that we see in the movies with explosions and you save the day and there's a happy ending, but true positive change, it's a painstaking process, but the key weapon in all of that is a verifiable knowledge and truth. So please make your friends and your family aware of this. This is a boat that we are all in together. And any sensible human being wants to obviously counter this. And the way we're going to get through this challenging time is if we do it together.
3: Love it, man. Yeah, that that was great. That's uh, much needed advice, and uh, perfect, perfect way to end this. All right, free thinkers. This episode is nearing the end. We wanted to take this time to remind you, if you found value in this conversation, please consider hitting that like button and subscribing to the Free Thought Project podcast on your preferred platform of choice. It's an easy, no-cost way to support us and ensure you never miss an episode. Also, the Free Thought Project operates primarily on the generosity of our listeners. If you believe in our mission and support our cause, please consider donating or subscribing by going to the membership tab at the top of our website. Your contributions ensure we are able to continue our important work, having these important conversations, and your donations help us do just that. Lastly, if you're part of an organization or own a business that aligns with our mission and values, we are currently inviting sponsorships for our podcast. This is a fantastic opportunity to promote your product or make your brand visible to our engaged audience while supporting meaningful discourse. Thank you for your support, Freethinkers, and as always, thank you for listening. I just want to say thank you for you guys contributing to this spontaneous yet emergency podcast. And it was all so eye opening. And hopefully, our audience is now better equipped to understand just how massive and significant this problem really is. And, you know, hopefully, we're not living in a children of men world here in another 20 years or so. Um, but of course it's, it's not just about, you know, having this knowledge, it's about also applying our knowledge and putting it into action for it to be useful and beneficial in any form. Uh, but of course, in this case, we must first understand the complexity of this problem and share it with others as Gavin just mentioned, so we could all move forward in the right direction. So with that said, uh, I appreciate your guys' time today. I appreciate everyone listening to the Free Thought Project podcast. Talk to you guys soon.
1: Please.